Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Zebra Talk, the podcast where we shine a little light onto the lives and the untold stories of the people who slide on their knees and count the threes. That's right, I'm talking about the referees, and today I'm joined by somebody who I know very well by reputation, but almost not at all, but uh, actually, you know, person to person. Uh, he's a, a, a huge figurehead in the uh, mainland European uh, professional wrestling community, more specifically in the German professional wrestling communities, the, CE, the COO of WXW. Uh, please welcome Tassilo Jung. How are you, Tassilo? I'm, I'm well, thank you for having me. Thank you very much for being here. It's a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm very very happy to get to like learn a little bit more about the uh, the mainland European scene because I feel like a lot of attention has been put onto the United Kingdom, and mm -hmm. rightfully so. It's had a long illustrious career or history, whatever you want to call it. Um, but you know, not a not a lot of not a lot is known about mainland European wrestling. So. Let's go ahead and dive into your story. Let people know who you are a little bit and how you first became associated with professional wrestling. Yeah, well, you've already uh, stated my name. So I'm, I'm Tassi Leon. Uh, I've been refereeing since 1999. I've been a wrestling fan since 1994. So kind of a late startup. Um, at that time, there still was a German slash Austrian wrestling scene, mm -hmm. uh, mainly Cash Wrestling Association run by Otto Wanz, and I didn't know anything of this, like okay. nothing. I never went to a show. I didn't know it existed until it was pretty much over. Uh, funnily enough, I, I recently dug through some of my old stuff when moving and I, and I found this autographed picture of Ulf Hermann. He was briefly in ECW as, as Hermann the German okay. and was one of the bigger names in CWA. I had no idea who he was and why I had his <laughs> autograph card. It doesn't make sense to me. Sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I started watching New Japan on Eurosports, then looked it up, I looked up, so okay, this is called wrestling. Where else is it? And at this time you had wrestling every single day on TV. It was great. You had sure. I think five or six days of WCW and two days of WWF and two days of New Japan. So I could watch as much as I liked. Um I started writing about wrestling for fanzines at that time so stuff that, that you would print out and, and send to people's houses and right so i have no were idea what part, the reach of this was were you a part of like the e-fed culture and all that oh yeah massively okay. yeah. <laughs> awesome I, I went my own my own not not even e-fed but but still at the time where you went it per name it mm -hmm. so as a, i want to say 14 year old had like 120 people playing in my weekly uh, per male federation. Nice. And it was pretty successful too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it actually made me, I think, 60, 70 Deutschmark by then, mm -hmm. which for a 14-year-old was significant money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> far more than my allowance. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did that for a while. I, I think I did like 50 weeks of those. Uh, mm -hmm. Then once I got online, I got the e-fans and then went insane by doing that. Like, really insane. Sure. Um, it's pretty amazing I, to hear how much content you had going on in your country at the time. Obviously, Germany is a very, you know, like, developed country and everything. But, like, just yeah. the idea of, you know, the internet is still kind of in its infancy at the time that we're discussing. Like, just the idea that you have things from WWF, WCW, New Japan, like you had stated, that were all, you know, like regularly mm -hmm. circulating your televisions is pretty amazing. And there were, like New Japan wasn't, but WCW and WWF were on tour all the time, mm -hmm. especially in 1993, 1994. It was right when, when the, the first big steroid scandal broke. 
and when when wrestling went down in the, in the states so they went over here and they went to every single smaller city i i saw wcw with glacier and mortis and benoit and eddie guerrero and, and a highly advertised nwo main event which of course was sean waldman and Sure. I want to say Virgil, but okay. I saw him in front of 200 <laughs> people in, in the small town. Um, so they went over here a lot and, and they, they also contributed to cash wrestling dying out. Mm -hmm. So by the time that, because American wrestling was exciting and highly produced and on television and German wrestling was very good wrestlers, but wrestling in rounds and doing very believable wrestling. And it was getting to the point where it was outdated and people wouldn't sure. come anymore. You guys so, almost have that old like 50s style of wrestling that, you know, had like kind of created yeah. what we have now, but without the kind of like life and vibrance that uh, had been injected into television American wrestling yet. Yeah, it was all very, very old fashioned. Like there, there was this parade at the beginning of every show where all mm -hmm. the wrestlers would enter the ring to a theme that kind of resembles a doink theme, I want to say. Okay. It was called <laughs> the, the Mark of the Gladiators. And okay. It was... And then the ring announcer would spend 20 minutes telling stories about all the wrestlers. And then they would do five matches and every couple, and they, they would run weeks and months in the same town every mm -hmm. single night. So, so you would do very little to, to be able to follow that the next night. Sure. Kind of reminds um, me a lot of like when it, uh, when professional wrestling originated back in like the circus and carnival days, you know, it was like actually like a big elaborate, like a show show, not so much like we're telling a wrestling show, but like, this is a big, like you're saying, like a yeah. circus almost. Yeah, it was in a tent. This, this wasn't in, in, in arenas or venues, but, but in a tent on, on a big, big square. Mm -hmm. um, so when that died out, uh, I got the chance to get into wrestling, but then there was no wrestling scene anymore. There were, right. like, the tournaments had stopped. Um, most of the wrestlers, the, the good ones, had either gone to other countries or quit their career, and about no one bothered of, of passing on any in-ring knowledge, let alone promoting knowledge. Sure. So my, my first couple of shows were mainly groups of people who like to play wrestling, dress in their favorite wrestlers' T-shirts. Uh, if, if you had jeans and, and sneakers and Jeff Hardy shirt, you, you'd be good to go. Like, <laughs> even gear, okay. no proper training were out. So everything was very, very backyard. -y. And uh, I got in my first show because I was writing for one of those fanzines, and they mm -hmm. ran a show with a promotion or a youth group who played wrestling in their, their local gymnasium. And they're like, yeah. hey, show is two days from now. We don't have a referee. Do you want to do this? I'm like, do I have to train for this? Nah, just come by, bring a shirt. <laughs> so I, I, I bought a dress shirt and then I came by there and I helped them carry this six and a half by six and a half meters WWE sized boxing ring. Okay. From the promoter's house to the venue. Yeah. And uh, then proceeded to hit my hand on, on that the whole evening because there was neither a spring nor, nor padding nor nothing. But yeah, yeah. It was being in wrestling was the greatest. Yeah. I'll bet as much as it like, you know, felt, uh, you know, like looking back on it in hindsight and seeing all of these different things that were just like, oh man, what were we doing? But like at the time, it must have been like the most exciting thing in the world for you, you know, like. Absolutely. Like my, my first match was. was, was of course, at this time, like the same guys who wrestled like four or five times per night because they didn't have many wrestlers, they didn't sure. have many shows, and they liked to get to the ring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in my first match, they, they called this elaborate finish where uh, there, there was, was a blind tag and one team saw it and the other team didn't and one team took advantage. But of course, they, they blew the spot. Of course. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I listened to it like, yep, I'm going to follow along. I'll do what they want. I count the finish and then I come back. Say, 
no one of the 40 people in, in attendance had noticed it, of course. No. But one of the guys was like, yo, you're, you're my hero for now. You got to go on, on, on tour with me next week to this <laughs> village you've never heard of. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. Great. Well, I'll do I'm that. with you, brother. I'll, I'll, let's go. <laughs> Where's the car? Yeah, I'll, I'll drive to Wieselhövel with you. No problem. Very cool. So, like, uh, because of, like, the nature of, you know, uh, the climate that professional wrestling had in your country, you know, uh, before you had become involved, um, things almost kind of, like, started over from scratch. Uh, mm -hmm. So you've actually been able to experience what it's like that a lot of people are still experiencing now uh, to have a completely brand new blossoming, like, wrestling community from its infancy, like, um, tell me a little bit more about like where you went to after this first, you know, like somebody's, he's telling you, jump in the car with me. Let's go off to this town you've never heard of. Where where do you go from there? Is it like just full tilt? I'm a ref. Now I'm growing the community or you're kind of one foot in, one foot out. What was your experience like? Um, I, I definitely want to do this. Um, the guy offered me to uh, come by the gymnasium. He was living next to every study that I didn't have a show. Mm -hmm. And he would he would train me. So he would put a couple of mats there. And, okay, this is how you take a bump. This is how you do a side lateral takeover. Not that he really knew, right? But sure. yeah, he'd, he'd still pass on whatever he knew because it was one of the better backyarders uh, at the time. Right. Um, and so a lot of people want to look down on that, and like rightfully so, when you have like a, a yeah. fully developed uh, wrestling scene like you do now, and like the states have. Um, but you know when that's all there is, that's all there is, you know, like somebody has to be the person that like yeah. tries to extend that knowledge to other people. And even if they aren't properly trained, like, you know, you're, we're seeing it in China now, we're seeing it in uh, mm -hmm. South America and a, a lot of other places, you know, the Nords have a really big blossoming wrestling community going yeah. on. We're like, if you didn't have Joe Schmo backyarder who was trying to teach his friends how to be better wrestlers, then you just don't have a wrestling scene. <laughs> right. And, and I, I feel at every given time, what you know right now about wrestling is the most you've ever known about it. Mm -hmm. So, of course, hindsight 2020, yeah, that wasn't the best guy to get trained by, that, that wasn't the best way to get into it. But on the other hand, at this time, it was, it was, it was the best I knew. And also, not that there were any other options. So, sure. you would try to get on a show once a month and drive wherever. And some of the shows had, like, maybe one or two professional wrestlers on there, as I said. Yeah. Wolf Herman was still around at this time. And when you could get in the ring with one of those, you, you would try to learn from them. Sure. The, the guy who rented the ring to most of the shows that didn't use boxing rings was this old Sir German promoter, Gerd Philip. He was very old. He didn't care much. He okay. came to the show, helped setting up the ring, yelled at everyone, went to any bar in town, got drunk, <laughs> tore down the ring and drove home with his, his trailer. Yeah. But... He liked me for, for a reason and gave me a couple of pointers on how to be a referee. And even small stuff like, yeah, come a little faster. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And now I go to the bar and get drunk. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that very much helped. Um, I, I know for, for get shows, uh, Robert Brooks had worked when, when he was in Germany a bit. Uh, Doc Dean worked there. Liverpool Lads were one of his attractions when, when they still ran shows before they went to CWA, for example. And from there, stuff would just grow. I, I would volunteer to help wherever I could. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a car at that time, which helped because I could drive wherever, and it was a big enough car to fit five people in there, and not comfortably, <laughs> so but that's well enough, wrestling. right? Yeah. <laughs> you need that. Like, don't, don't get a two-seater. It's, it's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I was actually just talking to somebody about uh, how they had a, uh, a nice championship belt back in the 90s when, like, it was, you know, like, thousands of dollars to get a nice championship mm -hmm. belt, and they were talking about how, like, 
that like a car like you know whatever else like a passport sometimes you know like you never know what those little boxes that you check off are actually going to lead to like an immense amount of opportunities just because like there are so many people that don't have that um let's talk you should mention that go ahead uh the guy who trained me had a nice title belt. He had one of okay. those WCW belts. <laughs> so, he, so he could politic his way into being the champion wherever. Yeah. And of course, never drop it because, hey, yeah, I'm happy to drop the title, but I'm not giving it to anyone else. It's my belt, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, let's talk um, a little bit about what your loop was actually like at the time. You know, like, uh, obviously, the majority of my listeners are going to be from the States. Uh, so it'll be a good uh, opportunity for people to get a little bit of a, a German yeah. geographic lesson. Cool. Uh, at this time, there were a couple of companies, but most of them would run a show or two and then fold. Okay. And yeah. nobody had like their, their fixed building. I think WXW in 2001 was the first where company to actually have a building where they, they ran all the time, a couple of times a year at least. Uh, I would do whatever I could in Germany and very much all across Germany. I lived around Cologne. So Holland was very, very... Um, close so I, I did whatever shows I could pick up in the Netherlands uh, I started when Swiss wrestling started in late 2001 I tried to get on all of their shows and parlayed that into going to Switzerland once a month which was, which was cool sure. Austria was hard to get into because it was all big old school guys so yeah. uh, I got in with one of them so I started doing Austria in 2001-2002 because I volunteered to do I think of a flood benefit show for free. And then the guy liked me because I was on time and nice enough and took pride in my work rather than just hanging out. So he brought yeah. me in for all the shows then, but that helped. Um, and then eventually, uh, I want to say that's rather 2003, 2004, then French wrestling started. It's like we started with younger guys and I could get into, into two of their promotions. One is ICWA still around. One is uh, 2FC, which aren't around anymore. So I could get into shows from friends that I really didn't mind doing those 14 hours one-way trips, which for a continent of Europe is a lot and people really mind doing those. Yeah. It's <laughs> not America. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild uh, how much people even in the States mind drives, uh, mind drives yeah. like that. Like I personally, I was living in San Francisco in Northern California for the majority of my career so far. Um, mm -hmm. And the majority of my work was in Southern California, which is about a, a 10 hour bus ride for me. It's like a five hour drive. Um, but yeah, like a 10 hour bus ride. Mm -hmm. And I would be in Los Angeles and try and give other people in Los Angeles a hand to an opportunity to this show that I was in. And they would go, oh, well, that's an hour away. I don't know if I want to go there. I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it just took me 10 hours to get down here. You don't want to drive an hour? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's weird, right? But uh, over time, uh, we had a couple of first American wrestlers that came over here and took an interest. Like Chris Hero was instrumental in that because I think he saw an opportunity to be, of course, a bigger star than he was in America at the time. Sure. And he also saw he could grow something here. Yeah, so he could he, have he influence. Would, yeah, he, he was brought in like every month or two months, then ran a training camp, which usually mm -hmm. the same guys like Cesaro and Aris and Mark Rodong and Emil Satoshi those guys visited and then uh, Chris took all of us on, under his wing and, and helped us in, in becoming in better. And then you had this group of people who didn't mind to train, mm -hmm. who didn't mind to drive wherever. So you'd have the same crew that went to all the shows in, in all the surrounding countries. That really sure. helped. 
and you um, immediately start seeing that uh that like almost next tier of the people on the uh community that you're operating with it's like you know that there's the boys right and there's everybody yeah. but then there's always going to be that next tier of people like okay these are the yeah. people that are traveling everywhere these are the people that are hungry these are the people that are probably going to get it signed at some point yeah that that, uh, that really helped um chris always lived with me when when he was over here Mm -hmm. uh, so at one point he offered, hey, if you ever want to come come by Kentuckiana and spend a vacation there, <laughs> uh, I'm happy to have you. And of course, I was like, yep, I'll, I'll go to Indiana and Kentucky, no problem. Yeah, I can I can be around IWA, which, which was great at that time because that what that's what I was watching. And I could do like eight, nine, ten wrestling shows in in two weeks, which is what we get in, in two or three months in, in Europe. So yeah, that's so like just really an helped. insane opportunity for information to just soak in and experience yeah. people you can meet and networking. Yeah. Very yeah. Cool. This is the, the best trip I've ever spent from, um, from the time of getting better and, and socializing with people and, and getting out there to just getting to know people. Like a lot of those guys we, we've brought onto WXW later on. Uh, a lot of the guys I've met again at, at different venues. Like for example, I, I first met Nigel McGuinness at uh, Ted Petty 2003. I refereed him and Brad Bradley. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we liked uh, talking together and working together. And then I, I refereed on a couple of indie shows. And a few years later, um, we get asked to, to come by the Olympia Liverpool for, for Ring of Honor to set up a business agreement with WXW. Mm -hmm. And on the way there, we, we stop at a gas station because, of course, we're flying to London because it's cheaper than rather than flying to Liverpool, which sure. or Manchester would have been good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we stop at a gas station and get a bucket of fried chicken, of course, because we couldn't <laughs> get fried chicken in Germany at the time. Yeah. <laughs> then Nigel runs into me, him and, and Bobby Cruz, and I was like, oh, cool, you're here. Uh, you're coming by the show. And I'm like, yep, there's really no other reason to be in the UK right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, uh, let me talk to, to Gabe and Alex Chang and see what's what. And I ended up not being booked and still refereeing this, this iconic Nigel and Danielson match. For sure. mm -hmm. And it all started because I didn't mind going to Kentucky in the end and spending two wonderful weeks there. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> you never know what kind of like <laughs> opportunities are going to open up, you know, mm -hmm. just by like the simplest of decisions and, you know, just being willing to let life take you down the path that life wants to take you down. I've always kind of tried to live with this, um, this mantra of like, say yes to life. When life puts an yeah. opportunity in front of you, when life opens a door, walk through it, see what happens. You know, like worst yeah. case scenario, you kind of have to pick up the pieces and maybe it doesn't go super well, but sometimes it leads to this. <laughs> yeah, like, like one of the, the, the old school French promoters, like they, they always ran the exact same shows every year and in the same villages. And they, they also had a couple of, of standing contracts in Africa where they would, for example, run in La Réunion or run in Cameroon and whatever. And some of the newer French promotions try, try to get those deals from them by, by just being, being cheaper. So sure. at one point, we got us, hey, do you want to go a week to Algeria? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I'll why wouldn't that. I want to go to Algeria? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go to Cameroon in two weeks? But you would have this vaccination and this and this and this. Like, yeah, one of those vaccinations I already have from from Algeria. Sure. We ended up didn't, we never we never found any guys to go there. Like we, we ended up going to Cameroon with the promoter, the promoter's brother, two wrestlers and myself. Everybody else didn't didn't want to go there because they either didn't feel safe enough, which I absolutely understand. Sure. Um, or because they didn't have the vaccinations. But yeah, I, I took that and then I'm refereeing. 
pretty much in the jungle and and wrestling there because we didn't have any wrestlers. Man, <laughs> that is a very different uh, experience than what you had thought you were getting into. But like, kudos to you for just like like we said, you know, walking through the door that uh, life opens up for you. Um, let's chat a little bit about how you go ahead. No, no, go, go, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, let's talk a little bit. Obviously, you're traveling all over the world at this point. You're becoming very involved with, you know, a number of uh, very high profile wrestlers, even at the time, which, you know, have become even more high profile wrestlers to, at this point. Um, when did you really realize or was it immediate that like you knew that you wanted to do this as like a lifelong career? When was the part where, uh, you know, like it was that transitional moment from like, this isn't something that I want to do with my friends. This is something that I'm doing for the rest of my life. What was that experience like for you? I, I feel I'm the type of person who sticks with something really easy. I, I don't change my hobbies or interests or, or state of mind too often. So I knew very early on, hey, if I, if I cannot do, can do that for a long time, I, I want to stick with this. But at that time, uh, very much there was no way to make a career of this. For the first two or three years, if, if you got to the point where you got some gas money, that was great. And yeah. I think even until six seven years eight years in I, I didn't make serious money but then i stepped away from weekend with hey i got my gas money and uh had some friend where i could could crash at and, and i got like i don't know 50 60 70 dollars for that and so that wasn't a career but something that i really enjoyed doing um it's something I you feel, could get by with yeah no not at all like i, I got by because I, I lived at home with my parents supported me absolutely sure um i i feel i i kind of stress them by focusing only on that because I really didn't care to do anything else but that right. so uh, yeah that, that led to a couple of, of nice discussions but then my parents got divorced at the same time so I had more leeway than I should have had um, it's, it's funny how you have like your family and your friends and everybody that are like uh, constantly trying to be supportive of you and your dreams and everything but also are a little unrealistic about like the reality of what to expect <laughs> when it comes to that where you know like you are going months or years or whatever without, you know, your own place or a job or whatever it is. Yeah. And you're just spending every moment that you can, every weekend that you can, every dollar that you have trying to chase this dream and trying to achieve your goals. Like what were your goals at the time? Like, were you pursuing like a TV contract? Like, obviously you're in another country from WWF, WWE, you know, like what's, what's the realistic goal for you at the time? What did you think was going to happen uh, was it just i want to referee as long as i can and be involved in wrestling as much as i can or did you know what you wanted to do i want to say up until the time where we purchased wxw so up until early 2006 it was hey let's get the most of it as, as we can let's get in the ring with the, the most uh crazy cool names that you want, want to get, get in the ring with let's eventually down the road, maybe get to Japan somehow and, and referee a show or two there. But I, I right up know you, I'm six foot three. I'm not going to get signed by, by a company, let alone a different country. And it very much helped that the only thing that Bill Barron's ever said to, said to me is, to make it real referee, I'll never use you. So <laughs> that, that, that helped to put into perspective. Yeah. And it's a little um, bit of a freeing experience too. Like, yeah. uh, you know, when you don't have to worry about if any of the TV contract places are keeping track of what you're doing, like, obviously I'm sure you're a good person and everything. You're not going to go like be this immoral, crazy person or anything like that. But like you have the freedom to do like, fun wrestling or wild wrestling or you know like have your own creative freedom to do whatever it is that you like um yeah. you kind of touched on it a little bit with like uh you know like purchasing wxw in 2006 let's just go ahead and dive in like please 
let the people who may not be familiar with WXW uh, know what they're about and how you became involved. Yeah, WXW started at like any other promotion. So one of the guys who was wrestling at that time wanted to run a wrestling shows because that's how it worked. One of the boys ran a show, the other boys got work. Sure. Money was an issue. So he ran Christmas Eve at a nightclub with two weeks notice. And hmm. we found eight wrestlers willing enough to, to take the booking. Sure. No fans took the took took their like like it was just a nightclub. There was metal music blaring. Mm-hmm. Uh, blasting, sorry. Um, there were no fans. There were just the, the sad people that you would expect to sit in the metal club at that sure. time. But in the <laughs> end, whoever was there saw the first Metro Cesaro that ever happened. Because okay. <laughs> had to drive up to Switzerland for that. Um, and I just stuck with WXW. Uh, the promoter hate was somebody who granted a lot of trust to people who bothered to help. So uh, I got the chance to help with talent, had to have people stay with me, help them drive around, network with them. Um, I got the chance to dabble with creative or booking just a little bit. But at the time it's, okay, this is a cool match. Let's do that. That's a cool finish. Let's assign a match to that. So sure. just easy stuff. Not so much um, like you sitting down and writing like long-term storylines or anything, but just like being like, oh, hey, maybe you should like hook the tights here, brother. Yeah, something like that. It's like, oh, this was a cool match. Let's do a rematch next month. Yeah, cool, do it. Sure. Um, but yeah, the topic story was fun because it, it uh, grew this, this, this fan base that would come back every month. So the people who watched WXW were more involved with the product than they were at any other promotion because over there it was just like local townspeople, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and WXW cared to bring in the names that I wanted to see. They, they cared to bring in cool American talent. They, they, of course, they started with Hero and Crackenbush, then they... Brought in Ian Rotten, which was cool mm-hmm. at 2004. I know Ian's a little bit burned right now. Sure. Um, then uh, they started using Robbie Brookside as a champion. Red was super cool run. Then we said we tried everything. Brought in Chikara of the crazy six-man tags. So mm-hmm. something you couldn't see anywhere else. We started bringing in uh, Japanese talent. So in 2005, I got in the ring with Misawa, Akiyama, and Kobashi. All an hour away from where I lived. Which wow. was <laughs> insane because then Noah was huge, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I mean, any was, one of those three names in, you know, your own home country is just like an honor to be able to be in there with them, but yeah. like to have all of the, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, but that was great. But we brought in whoever they could and they, they drove on the, on the concept of let's work with outside talent and, and put them against the best that we have. So our people can grow. And so the outside people are the, are the attraction, right? Um, so of course, when, when Hero and Punk did the, the big match series, we did when Hero right. met Punk in Germany. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Something like that, right? Very cool. Uh, you um, mentioned how it's kind of the local townsfolk that are like the uh, the core heart of the uh, fan base originally. What actual town did WXW originate in? Let's talk about oh, that. Essen. It's it's a town where the company is still registered uh, to the day. Very cool. Um, yeah, so it's in the middle of the rural area. It's uh, a lot of people live in that part of Germany. Mm-hmm. And it's accessible within a maximum of six hours from anywhere in the country. Sure. So, so I mean, just perfectly placed. Like you fly into yeah. anywhere, and you know, it's a, a short enough drive that anybody that's a real, you know, quote unquote pro wrestler will be okay with that. Um, yeah. And that, uh, of course, with WXW, you get a bit more involved, more involved, more involved. And, and once the promoter closed down shop for the fifth or sixth time because he was close to, to bankruptcy, sure. uh, a few of us. WXW backstage or on people got together and made an offer to, to purchase the company. Like very little money at the time. 
mm-hmm. but pretty much, hey, it saved his rent for half a year, so yeah. he, he didn't have to worry about that. So it, it, it wasn't worth more at the time, but be good into something. Yeah, I mean, it now. may have been a small amount of money at the time, but I'm sure for you folks who were collecting your money, it was a large amount for yourselves. And it was enough, yeah. to, like you said, that it helped him out quite a bit, uh, which, you know, maybe it doesn't reflect what WXW is worth now. But at the time, I'm sure it was very, very generous and very worthwhile for him. Yeah, we, we, we pulled as much as we could. And then we had a friend who, who owns the biggest U2 collection in the world. And he had so many items that, that he had two of. So he just gave them all to me in a couple of boxes, gave me a camera and said, oh, take pictures of this, put them on this thing called eBay and see <laughs> nice. what works. So, uh, you, so, so from old replicas of, of U2 gold discs and whatever, we, we funded WXW. How weird and random is right? pro wrestling that like <laughs> uh, some u2 replicas and memorabilia <laughs> and stuff like that would uh, fund you know like one of the world-changing professional wrestling companies um let's talk about about what you know your first experiences were like once you were what, what was your official title after you had uh, been a part of the purchase like did you have one or was it just kind of you were all working together no we were all working together and, and we had this idealistic goal of Let's make sure we don't break the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the maximum amount of money we want to spend. Let's take it one show at a time. So if we have the singular show where no fan shows up, everyone still gets paid. Let's do that. Sure. And we exceeded our limit on the very first show. Mm-hmm. We found out that uh, if you don't have the previous owner to rein in your bad ideas, you end up doing them all. Oh. And you end up doing <laughs> yeah. some really shitty stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our first event, it had Park in the opener, uh, which was cool to, to have. And then for some reason, we did a 75-minute time limit draw as the semi-main event for Ooh. two out of three falls tag title match of four hundred forty kilo plus guys. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. Who, who is in that 75-minute two out of three falls draw? Aris <laughs> and Joe Legend. Yeah. Um, they, they, was... they tried super hard and they, it went well for 65. Like, it would have went well if it was the main event had size of finish. Sure. Then Joe got hurt, and last ten minutes were very bad, and did not finish it. Yeah, what what uh, was the main after that? I can't even imagine like them trying to figure out what they're gonna do to try and like get some life oh, back into the audience. Main event was was a match that a, a match series between two tag teams, GTS and Iceman, and High Class Catch Club, which went very well in summer two thousand five. And we had prolonged this match series for no reason for about a year. It had lost every steam. And those guys were capable to do a two out of three falls match after that. Sure. So just yeah. dead in the water everywhere. Just, you know, yeah. like like yeah. you said, you know, the uh, old owner wasn't there to tell you when your bad ideas were going to be bad. Yeah. And you just kind of pulled the trigger on all of them. But that's how you learn, right? Yeah. Like, like we, we did two bad shows back to back. Then then did, did an unannounced death match, which was a really cool Funtech Jack match, which cost us our building. Okay. So three <laughs> shows in, we, we, lost, we, we lost our home. <laughs> and yeah. so... Then we brought in Doug Williams and Takashi Sugira and Yoshinobu Kanemaru and knocked it out of the park with this crazy weekend. It also had Chad Collier and Tracy Smothers. Then we did uh, a lightweight tournament with Ricky Marvin and Quackenbush and Ishimori and, and Park Generico. And from there on, it, it went. And uh, a few years in, it started growing and growing and growing. Very cool. Um, uh, you know, like you said, it's it's kind of highs and lows, uh, but eventually yeah. you kind of hope that you get one of those, like you said, knock it out of the park moments where it's like, yeah. okay, we've kind of got something figured out. 
things are going well. Let's see if we can ride this momentum as long as we can. Um, When do you feel like there was the real like shift uh, between like we're trying and we're doing our best and sometimes things are going well and sometimes things aren't, but like we're, we've got some popularity growing. When was the shift between like trying and being successful? Uh, I want to say 2013 because we, we made a, a gutsy decision. Like, of course, our product got a lot better from 2006 to 2012. And sure. We grew a bit. I mean, even just got... distribution is a huge thing that is probably yeah. affecting you guys right now with streaming services becoming a thing, HD cameras becoming a yeah. thing. Like, yeah, go ahead, please. But, but back then we were still at, let's do DVDs and we do 150 DVDs of eight this, uh, each for, for 16 carats and we print them all at home and, mm-hmm. and write numbers on the labels because we didn't have a label print at that time and sure. print out every single <laughs> cover. Fulfill all that. So yeah, I, I did that for a few years as my full-time gig. Thanks. I actually um, still have uh, the Wrestling Road Diaries from Colt with his like oh, nice. signed like DVD nice. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's how we did it. So we did that, and I had this car full of merchandise that I would drive back to every single show because we had so much stuff to sell. But still, it was it wasn't a company company. It was still the same three guys running it. And we did we did have a GmbH, so German equivalent of a limited uh, by now. But it was still our side act. And hey, if at the end of the year, there's 2,000 euros for each of us, that's great. And if, if we can go to dinner after the show and, and have it as a company expense, great. But we didn't need to earn money. Oh, cool. We can pay ourselves 50 euros for the show. Cool. And in 2013, we saw, hey, we have four or five different promoters in Germany who want to purchase the WXW show. Mm-hmm. Let's try to, to run a tour through Germany. And if it goes well, Let's try to give one of us, Christian at the time, a full-time contract so he focuses on nothing else but growing WXW. Yeah. And we spent a, a fuck ton of money on that in sure. the next four or five years. <laughs> we, lost, we lost, because for the first few years, you're like, oh, next year I have more shows, pre-sales are great, you're, you're making money, you're making money, you're making money, and you don't realize that in the end, you're, you're still losing money at the end of every year. Yeah. because the, the bottom dollar the next is still not making it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, that, that is in changes because it turned into a real business. And even though we were owing a lot of money when, when this run ended, when we consolidated the company to what it is now, it changed because then it turned into, let's not run 20 shows a year, but let's run 60, 70, 80. Let's yeah. have our own network. Let's have our own resting school and have it be a resting school and not setting a ring up in the gymnasium twice a month. Let, let's do it real. Um, hire people, pay them salaries. Uh, and do all the shit that's all the stuff that's involved it's okay <laughs> hey folks sorry about that a little technical difficulties but please we were discussing uh how wxw had gone from uh, this project that you and your friends were working on that was very successful you're traveling all over the country trying to increase the number of shows that uh you know you're uh, putting on so that you can have more of uh, income coming in so that you can grow it into what you want it to become let's talk a little bit about that phase of uh, your experience yeah, that, that, for me personally, that, that was a stressful time because we had to make the decision who is going to be in charge. And we, we felt from what we needed most, we needed somebody who was risky in his business approach and who could convince people of something that's happening. So that aren't necessarily my strengths. I'm, I'm, okay. <laughs> I keep a very, very low risk and i much more the person who administrates stuff rather than be the entrepreneur. Um, so what I did, I, I signed up with uh, a company who taxes you for watching television. 
Okay. And collected those taxes for two years. Then nice. I picked up a, a six hours away long distance relationship. And I did this while running WXW uh, with the team. So that was a bit stressful for, for two years, but it was exciting because things happened. Like you went from, you sell out your biggest show a year with 500 people to it, it goes, I think by, by now we are at 1,500 a few years later. Mm -hmm. um, you go from having the first tour with six shows uh, in six towns to, oh, cool. We're running 30 different towns in, in the first six months month of the year. And we're doing Czech Republic and, and Belgium and, and UK in, in between that. So um, we got to the point where all the wrestlers of WXW were doing WXW only and no other company in Germany just to ensure that they would have enough room for, for the crazy schedule that we were working. Yeah. And are they making um, a living at this point or is it still kind of like wrestling money or? Yeah, it's, it's still wrestling money. It's the better guys could have made a living with that, but it always depends on what do you consider making a living, right? Of course. And like how much they're saving and how smart they're being with their money and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And especially uh, health insurance in Germany is, is a big thing. You're, you have health insurance from your regular job. Wrestling mm -hmm. isn't a regular job, but, but a freelance gig. And paying health insurance out of pocket is ridiculously expensive because they want you to have a real job in Germany. Right, so absolutely. It's, dif it's difficult compared to, for example, in the UK, where make your payments, they'll leave you alone. Germany won't leave you alone. Yeah. Is there anything in the uh, time where you guys are making this transition into becoming, you know, like a, a major conglomerate, like wrestling entity? Is there anything that you attribute the success to specifically? Like, what was it? Obviously, you have good wrestling, you have international stars that are coming in, you know, you guys are very well organized and everything. But like, was there something that if it's like, in my mind, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it's like 16 carat or something. Was there anything in particular that it was that like really launched you guys off into that next stratosphere? Yeah, I, I want to say it wasn't necessarily 16 carat, but, but it was the feeling that WSW created at the time. Mm -hmm. like, like Christian was very good at making sure everybody was on board, knowing that right now stuff was going to blow up. And then he put the right persons in, in the right position for that. We ended up having this very, very good roster in 2016, 2017 of very hungry guys who were willing to go up and beyond, who were ridiculously talented, but who weren't quite there. And they would grow with the company. So another one who's burned, of course, is, is David Starr. But David right. Starr was there. Walter was there. Marcel Bartel was there. Right. Uh, Axel Tisha, Alexander Wolf was there. Tony Storm was there. Tyler Bate was there. Mm -hmm. Chris Brooks was there. So... It was so many, many of, of the guys who would just blow up in the next couple of years. Tim Thatcher, of course, has to, right. has to be mentioned. Ilya Dragunov. Yeah, Renkamp is making a huge, huge wave yeah. right now, obviously. Yeah. And it, it was this this very, very strong roster at, at, at the time. And, and those people kept pushing each other. And then they, they were totally on board with going up and beyond. And at that time, we, we tried to save money wherever we, we could. So those guys were, of course, only also the ring crew of the events and, and whatever, and everybody worked together. Sure. And I think it, it really helped that no matter where you were on, on, on the car there, you would be also the person lifting up the ring post and carrying it in and out in the venue. It helped oh, you everybody. know I love hearing that. You know I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, everybody belonged together. It was this, this community feeling and that very much helped. And we saw each other like every Friday to Saturday because that's when we ran shows. 
and the international guys like Tony and Tyler and, and, and Max and, uh, and Tim, they, they lived in the office at, at the time and in a separate room there. So everybody was very close together and that of course helped. Yeah, that, that sense of community, that camaraderie, that really, really helps motivate. You see that so many times over the mm -hmm. history of professional wrestling. You know, like ECW is a really, really tight-knit camaraderie family. ROH, same thing. You know, obviously yourselves. Like, it's amazing uh, how much of a positive effect it can have on the world when you actually, like, enjoy being around each other, which yeah. kind of seems like a duh statement, right? Um we kind of briefly mentioned 16 Carat, and obviously we should definitely give it a little bit of a nod while we're discussing this. Let's uh, tell the folks at home about what that actually is. Yeah, 16 Carat was, this started in 2006. So first 16 Carat was not good. That's sure. It was, a, it was, hey, King of Indies is super cool. TPI is super cool. Let's run a three-day tournament in the middle of winter, short notice, Three weeks later, you have PWG coming in who, who is selling out the place. <laughs> it has this crazy roster and we have nothing but Ian Rotten and Mickey Knuckles and Rocky Romero and Doug Williams. Sure. No knock on them, but it didn't have any of the star power compared yeah. to PWG bringing Joe and Danielson and everybody else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, first tournament wasn't great. And then the second tournament uh, happened and the week before Alex Shane was running uh, a tournament in the UK. We shared talent with them. So we had this super talented roster at the time. Of course, Hero and, and Cesaro were coming in and Real, Real Saito was coming in. Um, I want to say Jericho was on, on the first 16 carats. Uh, Go Shiozaki was on the first 16 carat. Aoki was there. Uh, Doug Williams was there. It was so many crazy or crazy names that we wouldn't see on the same show in Germany. And every single night that, that we went uh, back to the internet cafe, because at this time you didn't have smartphones or anything, sure. uh, you saw the reviews of, oh, cool, that's the greatest show I've ever seen. The next day, it's the same again and again. From there, 16 like characters. Maybe we're doing up. something right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just blew up. Next year, we sold out the building and, and we had to turn people away with a sellout crowd of 300. And then <laughs> after a few years, we started adding stuff to 16 Carat. Hey, let's. Let's play a soccer match, wrestlers against fans before that. Mm -hmm. Let's do an after show party where uh, one of the wrestlers' dads barbecues for us and we all sing karaoke and get drunk. Let's do Not a, a QA session at, at a cafe uh, at the central right before Super Bundesliga is on. Uh, let's do a podcast at, at, at night. Let's do another, another show the day before in front of an old venue. So, so we do something at the academy with no production and it's like, meet all the stars in front of 150 people. It grew and grew and grew to the festival that it is now, or that at least it has been until 2020 and that we hope to restart in 2022. It's crazy that like, uh, I don't really, I wasn't super involved with WWE at the time, but like you're almost creating access before access is a thing, uh, at least as yeah. far as I know. Yeah, like you're, yeah. you kind of see the writing on the walls. Like, yeah, we have this collection of people that are here to enjoy the product that we're putting on, but why only try and entertain them for the, you know, like six hour time mm -hmm. slot, you know, of the three days that we've designated for the tournament? Yeah. Why not try and just make it a great experience for them the whole time that they're oh, there? Yeah. It's a, a fantastic idea. Um, yeah, like, like 16 characters is great. It's like what, what we went for is market is as a resting festival because it, it's that it, it gives you the chance to dive into this resting thing for seven to two hours and not, not worry about your regular life do nothing sure. but resting and do nothing but be around resting people and at, at that weekend i think we 
like half to our hotel rooms in, in the city of Oberhausen, I went to WXW people because it grew into this thing. Very cool. Um, we've talked a lot about what was going on with WXW as an entity over this time, but we haven't really talked too much about what you specifically are doing. Obviously, you're one of the admin people that are, you know, like getting everything organized and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But like, this is obviously geared towards referees. What's your referee experience throughout this whole thing? Are you still refing regularly? Are you refing all the shows? I think you're senior referee at this point, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm that. I think only our ring announcer is using that term. Like, sure. I don't. I, I think it's like the whole senior referee thing. Usually, is oh, let let let's give one of the refs a rap that he doesn't really need, but he yeah. enjoys. Right? <laughs> like, if, if it's not used on air, like, why do it? A senior referee uh, basically is a, a another way of saying this guy's been here the longest. Let him pick who does what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I refereed the whole time. I. When when we started doing so many shows and I had a relationship on the job on the side, I, I didn't do all the shows anymore. So I would skip a couple of the smaller town shows. Mm -hmm. But I think I've I haven't missed many big WXW shows over the whole 20 years. Like of the big ones, definitely less than five, I want sure. to say. Wow. Uh I, I spent That's amazing in and of itself. Go ahead. Yeah, I spent one 16 carat getting ridiculously sick uh, with some kind of flu. And I refereed the first night and didn't feel well. I refereed the second night. And after the first night, I told the guys, yo, I'm the absolute worst. Uh, please take <laughs> yeah. me off the show. And the third day, I couldn't even drive back from, back home from the hotel because I was so sick. Yeah. And I missed the whole show. So, yeah, that was one of the five. Probably um, a yeah. good decision, though. <laughs> 100%. But, yeah, I stayed refereeing the whole time. That's what I really enjoy about wrestling. And mm -hmm. I've never stopped enjoying it. So, independently of what else I do at shows, I never stopped refereeing. Um, sure. I feel at times I, I wouldn't give the refereeing as much attention that I would have liked. For example, I wouldn't sit in before certain matches and listen to everything that I could listen to. And right. I would get away with, with being experienced enough to Wing know it. the people I'm working with and, and doing it uh, not completely on the fly, but mostly on the fly rather than making sure to be too involved. But like for, for the big matches, I still get as involved as, as Tom wants me to be. Sure. Makes sense. Um, obviously you're very involved with like all of the organization and you're refereeing there as well. Uh, are you still traveling to other places at all and refereeing anywhere else or is your life WXW from 2006 until now? No, like for the first couple of years, I, I tried to get onto other shows as much as I could. Uh, so for example, when, when Walter was defending the WXW or winning the WXW title from Daisuke in Japan, uh, I flew with water to Japan and, and picked up a week's worth of shows there because Very cool. why would you do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I did uh, the this this terrible Ultimate Warrior comeback match in Spain. Have you seen that? No, I did that <laughs> show. Yeah, um, I'll take it. I'll take a look now. <laughs> cool. Uh, I did that show. I'm super happy I didn't referee it, but I ended up working in front of sixteen thousand people before Warrior and entered. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, 16,000 people, no matter where you are, is pretty insane. And to be on a whole other continent in front of that many people is quite an opportunity. Yeah, but that was super cool. Um, but over time, the more WXW grew, the, the less outside of WXW I'm, I'm doing. So I want to say in the last five years, I've, I've done the progress shows in Germany because they were before WXW shows and we just kept their, their costs down by, by using local referees. So I, I those... I did one show in England. Uh, there, uh, 
they, they did uh, Tetsujin, that's a shoot style brand, and they labeled it after our shoot style brand edition. And I couldn't do their first show, so I made sure to do their very last one. Um, I did that, that was cool. Um, what else? I did a small German indie called GHW when my best friend retired. I refereed his last match. Uh, and I did a few shows around uh, Mania when we were in New York. And that's and I think about we all ran I've done in five each years. Then, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, well, it was a fun week. Great week. Uh, you obviously have a very unique experience where you have a, an extensive experience as a referee and obviously as an admin promoter, you know, organizer, COO now. Um, what kind of advice do you have for people that uh, may be trying to not necessarily follow in your footsteps, but like create their own, you know, like uh, path as far as like establishing a company or like even just as people, you know, referees on the independent scene that are trying to like, follow their own path. Uh, what kind of yeah. advice do you offer to folks? It's, it's a two-step thing. Um, first is right now, you have the chance to, to learn from people who know how to do business right. You have the chance to get properly trained in most places. And I feel there's a lot of people in our generation that are willing to help. Mm -hmm. So make use of that while you can, um, but still do, do your own thing. Like, sure. uh, I've, I've made every single mistake I could do as a referee as well as a promoter. Like, very sure every single one. And I think from one's mistakes, the person grows. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel nowadays it's, it's very hard to make those experiences, make those mistakes, uh, mistakes because everything ends up be, being shared, everything ends up being videotaped and filmed yeah. and uh, being put out there on Twitter and Facebook. You can't and hide in the fact that, you know, like I, I drew six people to, you know, Connecticut or something like that because it'll yeah, be online uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, here, here's this clip of, of this ridiculous thing I've tried in the ring and almost killed myself and, and, and two opponents and fell into, into a fan. I should have never done this, but now, and it, now I'm on super there. viral and that's all anybody's ever going to know me as because yeah. that's what I got famous for first. Yeah. Totally Plus, I, I feel especially when, when you're young, you, you want to push boundaries of what culture is and what art is. Sure. Uh, so you try to, to, to tend, up, tend to be a little insensitive at times and, and push things. And yeah. I want to say in 2000, 2005, you could do that without there being too much of a fuss, but somebody yelling at you. And yeah. nowadays, this, this couldn't ruin your career. So you have to be more careful than, than our generation was back then. I feel that that's also part of it. Uh, we're all more sensible and sensitive nowadays. So right. it's both. PC um, and cancel culture are definitely a very real, real thing. And like, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're based in, you know, like it comes from a good place. But yeah, it can definitely tank any kind of potential that you have if you, like you said, make some of those uh, stupid mistakes that, you know, like you learn from in the past, but now it can come around and bite you. Yeah. Uh, like my, my business partner, Felix, when, when we were in the middle of the speaking out thing, he went like, hey, if, if, we're, if we're honest to each other, we know that probably most of the guys that we celebrate as, as big influential guys from the 80s, either in football or in wrestling or in music, if speaking out had been around at the time, sure. and if people had known as much, all of those guys would be burned. And yeah, this is also a thing. So I feel your general behavior, not only around wrestling, but around life, needs to have more of a focus than, than it would have been 20 years ago. So that would be a piece of advice. Uh, but yeah, do, do your own thing. I think... Uh, always trying to to please everyone and, and be the nicest and just doing things the way you're told that that's also isn't the way to go if you want to do something new and if, if you want to excel at what you do. Yeah, I've definitely found that in my experience, the people who 
listen and play by the rules and make nice. Um, they can have long and illustrious careers just like anybody else can because wrestling, there is no A plus B equals C. Mm -hmm. um, but I have found more often that the people who listen but then take that with a grain of salt and kind of forge their own path, those are the people that uh, are going to find the most success. Mm -hmm. I found out really early on, you know, like I was watching the people that were successful and I was like, okay, they're going to different schools. They're going to different companies. They're going to different cities and states and people and things like that. And like a lot of pro wrestling culture uh, kind of insists on you having this like loyalty and family to like your original company and your original school and your original territory and stuff like that. And like, it's true to an extent because you do want to know where you came from and you want to try and have a good impression that you give to the rest of the world of the place that you came from. But like, wrestling should be all about getting out to the world right yeah absolutely i, I feel a lot of those those things that that you get for uh, get taught are or have been established as a way to control whoever is new yes like make sure people stay in place are in place uh don't exceed too much and i feel don't a lot of the, what the, i've created by creating your own thing yeah yeah right and and i feel a lot of the, the good companies and good schools they You have the goal of their, or if you're not WWE or New Japan, but if, if you're a good independent company, your goal is have your talent move on to a different place. Yeah. If you're a good wrestling school, your goal should be have the wrestler become, become better than, than me, his trainer. That this should be your, your goal and this should be your validation because you, you help this guy becoming better than yourself could have ever been, right? Absolutely. Everything should be an evolution from, you know, yeah. if uh, you're in a school or a company or anything like that, that is, you know, keeping you stagnant and is holding you and trying to tell you, oh, you can't work here because X, Y, and Z, you know, obviously sometimes there are companies that will try and tell you like, don't work here. And it is legitimate because it's a place that they know, you know, like if yeah. it's a money mark or a work or something like that. And like those pieces of advice are good, but there is definitely a lot of people in professional wrestling that will try and hinder you and hold you tight to them so that it doesn't affect their bottom dollar or anything like that. Um, have you personally had a lot of experience with training, uh, you know, referees? Have you taught wrestlers? Like what has been your experience as a teacher? Um, I've, I've trained a couple of referees. I, I want to say I, I trained most of the good referees that have stuck with WXW. So I helped those guys in, Hey, this is what a referee is. This is how you work with cameras. This is how you try to be a character, but not too big of a character, but still be important. That not just a guy in a shirt that can be replaced. That um, was actually something I found really interesting when we were doing the Q and A's and Zebra mm -hmm. Talk. Felix, yourself, Rainer, you guys all kind of mentioned how, like, um, you know, you're not over the top, like look at me characters, but like you mm -hmm. do have a name and a character behind who you mm -hmm. are at your company, and I appreciate that. Do you feel like that was something that uh, is just the culture uh, where you are and that's how things are in German wrestling? Or was that something that was influenced by you? Or what, what, how do you feel like that came about in your environment? I, I feel it's something that no other German company is doing but WXW. Of mm -hmm. course, there, there will be this company where, hey, this guy's a huge referee and he does, does that, but sure. that's not what we're looking at. But that's not how, what we're talking about <laughs> no, here, obviously. No, no, it's... it's Be a character. I, I feel it's the same way when, when you watch uh, a football match or, okay. or a soccer match. The referee is, is important and there are different referees. They have different styles. Right. And an old uh, catch wrestling, the referees used to, used to have gimmicks. There was Didi Gap, who was this rather large Frenchman who okay. would get taken advantage of. There was Mick McMichael from Scotland who wore a skirt and all, all that. 
And I feel it helps if you have three or four different referees with different strengths. So it matters who officiates the match of which character. Yeah. Because they're going to act differently towards the character. And if, if you need this out of control, out of bounds heel, then, then you put the weakest referee in there. Sure. Despite him not being the weakest guy, but he's he's the best at, at portraying the role where he lose authority. Or you right. put Ryder in there whose gimmick and character is that he just doesn't mind. Sure. Which always helps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, I, like but that. I, I think that, that, that helps to, to have to have that it, it gives you another layer without uh going heel or face or this guy's going going to support this guy. It's not about that. It, it's everyone has a different style of officiating and it helps the matches to develop. Yeah, it helps add another layer of the storytelling uh, because, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, uh, it's a very common example. But like if you were watching an Arnold Hebner match, you immediately mm-hmm. assumed, OK, this is going to be a very high profile match. He's going to yeah. be very strict and make sure that like, you know, no BS is going on because mm-hmm. like this is their mm-hmm. like, you know, top level. Like this is the guy mm-hmm. that they put in when things are really important. Or like Nick Patrick, you know, you see him go into a WCW <laughs> match and you're like, oh, man. Oh, Nick's in there. Maybe this is going to turn into some BS at the end, like blah, 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 you know, whatever. And I, you know, it's not about making them the focus. It's just another layer of like, maybe my baby face is going to get screwed by the end of this match. That stinks. Let's like root for them even harder so that that doesn't happen. I really appreciate that. Um, We are kind of winding down time a little bit. I do like to offer my guests an opportunity for like the last five minutes or so. If you have any shows that you feel need a look from folks that haven't really gotten the opportunity yet, if you have any wrestlers, referees, uh, anybody that you think deserves a little bit of a spotlight for a moment that, uh, you know, the rest of the professional wrestling world hasn't really taken notice of yet. Um, And then obviously go ahead and plug your own socials, WXW, anything you like. The next five minutes is yours. Go ahead. Cool. Thank you. Um, I want to say European wrestling or continental European wrestling has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. With a lot of high profile wrestlers like Walter, like Ulya, like Marcel Bartel, like Alexander Wolf going to uh, to NXT or NXT UK. Um, So the WXW roster right now is, is very fresh and mainly compiled of people who most wrestling fans won't be knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel about half of our roster hasn't done a singular event where WXW fans has to have been the audience. Sure. And those are our main guys right now. So it's it's a very fresh and new product. This leads to a lot of people not being known. Mm-hmm. Um, like, of course, if, if you follow a little bit of German wrestling, you know Marius Alani is, is really good right now. That's all right. I'm not going to plug the likes of his. Uh, but for example, uh, Fast Time Mudo is an amazing talent. He's this uh, third-level black belt guy with, uh, of course, insane kicks, but also a very interesting wrestling style. A bit on the epic side of his facial expressions, but mm-hmm. yeah, he'll, he'll be one of the guys to, to carry continental European wrestling in the next couple of years. Fantastic. Um, there's a ton of really good wrestlers from Hungary. Um, mm-hmm. I actually because just heard about Hungarian wrestling for the first time today. I'm actually really glad that oh, you're bringing this up. Please tell me. It's, it's a thing. Icarus and Dover have been, been branching out as the heirs of Hungary for a couple of years, but they've trained, I want to say, around about 10 wrestlers who all are good enough to be on every single European wrestling show. Mm-hmm. Um, they, have, uh, they have a female wrestler, uh, Eva Kolaski, okay. who is going to be uh, opening a lot of eyes and, and and she'll definitely be a star if she doesn't, doesn't get hurt. Uh, she hasn't even been shown on, on WXW uh, products so far, so that's a bit of a spot there. 
Um, there's really cool wrestling in France. I think uh, Tristan Archer, he was on the Kudamit Classic as Clermont with PTO. He has reinvented himself and uh, he is ready to be signed. Of course, Senza Volto, people who know about in Europe so far, even though not enough of them. Egil Blanc is this really amazing uh, big version of rotation, I want to say. Very <laughs> interesting roster that is going to go places. Um, there's a lot, a lot of, of interesting talent on, on the current WXW shows that, that should be seen. So how do you see them? Great. It's there on WXW now. It's our streaming service with um, an increasingly big delay there on the WWE network or Peacock as well. Uh, so you could also watch them without paying an extra 10 uh, euros for WXW now, but we appreciate that, of course. Sure. Um, yeah, WXW is on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can find us. I'm, I'm very sure I need to mention the handles. Sure. <laughs> Personally, I don't do social media much. I, I have a Twitter account. That's about it. It's under my full name. It's Tassilo Jung. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. There are tweet only in German. Which is probably a bit of a turn off to to uh, a bit of the US, but Twitter has this very cool auto translate feature. Uh, so, which is amazing. If folks don't know about that already, like there's a yeah, like he's saying, there's an auto translate feature. You just awesome, right? Yeah, amazing. Like especially when I was uh, in Japan for a few weeks, like being able to actually see what people are saying is incredible. Yeah, just to open up the text bubble. There's a little button right down at the bottom, boom. And it's actually a decent translation, not, you know, like yeah, trying to mess around with Google Translate. Yeah, it's, it's fine, guys. If, if, if Daisuke Ikeda likes my tweets uh, and have this food in Buddy Buddy account like my tweet all the time, you can understand that too. Yeah. Because his English isn't great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually was thinking about that before we started recording today because, like, uh, you know, my family is German. I did uh, study German like in high school for a couple of years. And I was thinking, I was like, can I do my intro in German or am I just going to sound like a five-year-old to this guy today? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I erred on the side of caution. But... Oh, don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll talk with my heavy accent, all accent all the time. I don't mind. Um, if you want to go out and check one WXW match as the, as the recommendation, uh, here's a weird one. We did uh, Daisuke Kira and Yuki Ishikawa in the Battle Arts match on our okay. ambition show. And despite both them guys being in, in their 50s, that was absolutely crazy and insane and, and blew all of us away. That's on last year's Ambition show, so Ambition from 2020. That's the one to check out. It's uh, 10, 12 minutes, and it's absolute insanity. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing as soon as I end the recording today. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciated you, you know, like giving me your time and being willing to be a part of this. It's uh, great seeing people who have, you know, come up through the referee community and found a measure of success and then turning that back around and giving back to us. You know, you were part of the QA and Q a series. You're a part of this now as well. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, folks, if you would like to support the Zebra Talk Fund, you can find us on prowrestlingtees.com backslash Zebra Talk. You can find us on all the socials at Zebra Talk 123. I'm on all the socials as Odie One Kenodi. You can find me on Facebook as Robert Odie Brown. And if you're a referee and you have not uh, been added to the Zebra Talk group yet, please find me. We'll get you in there and you can start uh, interacting with some amazing people like Tosillo and many, many, many others that will have an insane amount of wealth to uh, uh, information to offer you wealth. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for your time and folks have a great day and thanks for listening. One, two,